is an alliance with the evil that is inherent to human nature. That is who I was, walking death. A quote by Richard Ramirez. Hello, lovelies. I am Emerus, your supernatural, no, your Snow White of the supernatural. I had to think about that. That's fine. Hello, little witchy babies. I'm Lolo. And today, obviously, we're going to be talking about Richard Ramirez or the Night Stalker. Actually, did you know he had a, like a variety of names prior to the Night Stalker name sticking? I think one of them was the Valley Intruder because yes. of the area he intruded in. Yes, and the other one was the walk-in. Um, what was it? Hold up, I'm going through my notes here. I'm going through my notes. Five thousand pages later, I literally had so many notes on this. Like it's crazy. Okay. Um, so KNBC initially called him the walk-in killer. Uh, the next one was the Valley Intruder, and then the Herald Examiner actually gave them the name the Night Stalker, and that's the one that actually stuck. I like. I I just took basic notes. You took in-depth notes. I just took summarized notes, and my hand was cramping. I have like four pages of notes just from light notes. And like- you know what's funny? <laughs> like I don't even mean to interrupt, but. You know what's funny is I was watching the documentary for the second time in a row and I was like, wow, I have so much more to be writing, but I'm just not going to write it because (laughs) at the end of the day, if they really wanted to know, there's a documentary. I'm not just going to, you know, basically write every word that they had said because if that's the case, you could just, you could just go watch. Well, that's the thing. I found a really, really good article that gave like basic notes on everything that happened there is and, no such thing as basic notes when it comes well, to this topic air quotes <laughs> around basic but i found myself literally copying everything word for word because it yeah felt like if i didn't do that i was gonna miss out on something vital and that's the scenario is basically like i was you know again like i was watching the documentary again and I was like, you know what? It's fine. I don't need this input in here. And then I realized, yeah, I do because everything's interconnected and it sucks. So (laughs) um, I also want to duly note prior us getting really into this topic. Why did no one tell me how annoying I am every time I say like a hot minute or literally like if I had a pity for every time I said one or the other in the last episode, I'd be a millionaire. Okay, ma'am, ma'am. It is not that serious. It is. It's pretty annoying. Like, mind you, I listened to the thing like all three hours for like four times. But I, I think really I think it's because myself. you edit it. You have to constantly hear yourself over and over again. So you're just like, ew. Honestly, it's like that. Like, just the sound of my voice just made my skin crawl. You know. <laughs> fine. And you're gonna have to hear it again. It's when, fine. When this, and I'm so. gonna. I'm going to try to do my best to make me not sound obnoxious, but I mean, it is what it is. I give no guarantees. So I also want to do another trigger warning on this. Um, oh, yeah. I'll be doing a few trigger warnings. Um, there's there's a it? lot. There's mentions of um, child molestation, rape, murder, uh, gouging out eyes, and what else am I missing? Well, gee, just tell them all what it is. Gosh. I mean, it's a trigger warning. No, and um, I'm trying to think. What else am I missing? Um, sexual that- assault. of A lot of sexual assault. 
there's a lot of sexual assault. There's going to be some graphic details in here about, like, how he goes about killing. Um, I did not write any of that down, by the way. There, Yeah, that's all going to come from me. Um, essentially, though, it's not really any explicit verbiage. It's just explicit details, if that makes sense. So, like, there's no real cussing in here. There's mostly just, like, here's some graphic scenes, some graphic violence. Um, this was actually a notorious killer. Um, and he was notorious for a few reasons because he didn't really have, you know, a set pattern. There was one specific thing that linked him to all of his crimes and it wasn't the way he did things. Well, Um, that's interesting because, um, I have that towards the end, the last, I don't know, handful, I think the last dozen there was a pattern and that's how they found him well okay so he was okay let me just say this ultimately he was jailed for 43 crimes and 13 murders okay mm-hmm. um none of them had a pattern which is how they struggled catching him initially because funny thing is, is that he was a student of um what was it the the hillside valley strangler and ted bundy you know, he read up on them and everything. And so, like, apparently at the time, you know, whenever he was committing these killers, he had the Hillside Valley Strangler actively, you know, there as well. He killed maybe about 10 people. And allegedly that was, you know, his idol. That was someone that he idolized. And, you know, there was there was a pattern in each of the killings, but not in his killings, not in his um, actions and his crimes either, because, you know, in some crimes there was theft and some crimes there was assaulting. There was children involved. There was old people. There was young people. There was, you know, people that was killed by strangulation. Some people got killed because, you know, they got their face stomped in. Um, they was, there was raping, there was theft. Like there's, there's so many different things and nothing connected with another thing except for one exclusive detail. And there was a lot of drama around that exclusive detail. So are we ready to get into it? Do we have yes. any questions prior to me re- proceeding? Not at all. Okay. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory of uh, basically the detective, um, one of the detectives on the case. Um, and then I'm just kind of going to slide into it about maybe the first interaction and like how that leads up and everything of the sort. Well, do you maybe want to start about his early life? Because I feel like his early life has a lot of vital information as to how he is, the way he is. Well, okay. So, so the documentary, honestly, it didn't even mention it until towards the end and whenever he got there, whenever they got his name and then he got arrested. And honestly... It's really interesting. It is. I have a lot of stuff on his early life. I have thorough, thorough notes. So, guys, buckle up. This is going to take a second. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll give him, you know, some few details. If I miss anything, you can pop on in. But the details I got is that basically Richard Ramirez is was a kid who, honestly, if you, if, okay. I need to work on my words. Richard Ramirez was, as a kid, exposed to everything bad that you could possibly expose a kid. Apparently, whenever his father was trying to reprimand him for something, he tied him to a cross and left him in the cemetery overnight. 
that was one of the most lucid things that like came to my head because uh you'll notice eventually a pattern in uh what you find in his sightings that he's thinking that um that the police they think that he's trying to replicate Manson was with the pentagrams and you know hailing satan and all of his jazz so i feel like that might come from that as well aside from you know him being the student of things um another thing was he had a cousin that uh shot the wife Mm -hmm. or like killed the wife right in front of him and was perfectly fine without it and then that same cousin would also sit there and tell him of all the gruesome things that happened uh in vietnam and you know everything that they did to the women everything you know, the brutal killings that had gone on and those sorts of things. And that's basically what I have on his background, uh, aside from, like, all the drugs that was involved as well, um, both, like, in his surrounding family that he was doing at young ages. So, um, he actually had developed epilepsy as a child because he had severe head injuries. Oh, I didn't know that. Whether... Uh, one incident was he got hit in the head and knocked unconscious with a swing set. And that was when they start, when the episodes started, which is also what started his drug use. Cause he was, Honestly, I think he was looking for a way to stop it. Same. I, I, I actually, I kid you not. I got hit in the head with a swing set, like a swing <laughs> as a kid. I was in third grade and he was five. Well, you see, what happened was, okay, so I jumped off the swing, and I did the thing where, like, you jump off as high as you can go, and so you go flying, and then I landed in such a way where whenever I was like, yeah, and then I sat up, and then, boom, I got hit in the back of the head. Well, he was five years old, and he got (laughs) walloped in the back of the head, knocked unconscious, and then he had epilepsy. Um, uh, He became involved with drugs because his older cousin, Miguel, would smoke weed with him. And um, they were very, very close. And Miguel, not only would he tell in great detail what he would do to these Vietnamese women, but he would also provide picture evidence of what he did and show him and show him what he did. He was 13 when Miguel shot his wife in front of him. He dropped out of high. He dropped out of high school in ninth grade, and was and that was when he uh, had his first arrest for illegal possession. Oh yeah, and there's there's connection to that as well. Um, whenever they were actually scanning for fingerprints, you know, whenever they're trying to tra- track down who uh, Richard Ramirez is, mind you, they didn't even have his name at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever they had like a partial fingerprint. Uh, they were manually comparing it to whatever you know they had in their database and they came up with a match and the petty thievery and grand theft auto was essentially what mm-hmm. he had on his record and it was like the 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 detective at the time i think it was like frank he was like it had nothing in resemblance to the crimes that he was committing now so but they ended up getting confirmation. And the way that they got confirmation was actually through, you know, the little girls and um, that uh, specifically the little girl that he assaulted um, who was at age six. Mm-hmm. And they had him in like a lineup. I'm getting ahead of myself, like way ahead of myself, but there's so much that I might actually end up repeating one thing or two when I actually get into my notes. But 
uh, they had him in a lineup and they, you know, were going through the stages of saying, hey, this is what you need to say, X, Y, and Z. And they were telling, you know, the people, the victims saying, okay, well, you know, write down the number or like choose the number. And they asked, like, does anyone have any questions before we start? And the little girl raises her hand and he goes, yes, sweetie. And she says, do I write down the number three or like the word, not number three, number two or the, or the word two. And they were just like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. So it's very, I get pretty thorough with it. So you're going to have to bear with me. Um, but. I'm going to start out with the background behind the um, initial cop that gets, like, introduced into the Homicide Bureau, who's basically the head person on this case. So, that it's not the head person, but honestly, he was the person that said that the crimes that was being committed to the kids as well and kidnappings as well as the murders going on was the same person and no one believed him Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna get into it okay so on march 23rd 1981 uh it's the day that gil uh which is the name of this guy his name's gil carrillo um he gets recruited into the homicide bureau um he's the la county sheriff and he was the starting at starting at age 17 he was recruited into the army as a soldier uh in vietnam my note was like everywhere in that sentence (laughs) but basically he was exposed to a lot of heavy combat and he ended up going to college at rio hondo and then he became a cop so those were his like three things he wanted to get married he wanted to go to college because no one in his family had gone to college. And then afterwards, he wanted to become a cop. Um, I rem- uh, remember him saying that he was working, you know, to be he was working as an officer and he had homicide come in. And he ended up telling one of the people who was working homicide, so was, I'm going to be doing that one day. And uh, on March 23rd, he was recruited into homicide. Um at the time, his future did, his future partner wasn't his partner, but his future partner for this case ends up being uh, Frank Silverano. Sil- um, he was the one who was partnered with him, and basically Frank had approached him because you know of his background, of his you know, uh, how do you say? Like he knew how to speak Spanish. He also had a very reputable background. He was you know dependable and that sort of thing. So Frank felt that he was suitable for being his partner. Now, Frank, in this scenario, he was highly praised. He was basically the head of the head, and he was considered the detective of the cops. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the first encounter is actually narrated by Esther. Uh, I cannot pronounce her name for the life of me, and I apologize. It's going to be Petshar. Uh, P-E-T-S-C-H-A-R. Now, she was the very first to basically, like, look at the face of the person who had committed a crime and drop that thing or that piece of evidence at that scene purposefully. So, here we go. Now, 
she was just an LA resident, you know, she found herself in the Salvation Army uh, on her lunch, lunch break, you know, she was known to be working at AT&T as like a clerk. Uh, she said she remembered picking up a hat that said ACDC on it, not knowing what it meant, and tossed it back down. Just as a man came on her right, picked up the hat, and smiled at her. She remembered seeing a pentagram on his hand, specifically the one with, the, with like, you know, the circle and the goat and the horns. She said it was the mark of the devil. Uh, and as she was headed home, she was chased down on the highway by this car. It was, it came up on the right on, on the side of her, and th- it was the same man from the thrift store. She described the smile much like a clown, like a killer clown. And that was the one of the first encounters of the Night Stalker. Now, initially, I wasn't going to write this detail down because it seemed so obscure. However, whenever you get to the first murder, which is what I'm about to introduce to you, that hat was actually found on the floor of the garage. Now, the first encounter is quite lucid uh it has to do with two roommates being involved one was killed one had like a very miraculous um situation happen do you know about this one um with uh dale okazaki are you sure that was the first one i thought um um... it it was it was the first one because i have that uh Jeannie Wincow was the first one. You know? Who knows? But in the documentary, <laughs> this one was the first one. And this is why. Okay. So, on March 17th, 1985, and then let me see, it was what? Watch me not even be able to do the math. So, he was recruited on the 23rd, and on the 17th was when this happened. Uh, it was on St. Patrick's Day in Rosemead. Dale Okazaki, age 34, she was found in her kitchen on the floor, shot in the face. Now, her roommate, Maria Hernandez, was also involved. You cut uh, out for a second. I did? hmm Well, you cut out for a second. <laughs> um, so, basically, you have two roommates. You have Dale Okazaki, age 34, and Maria Hernandez, her roommate. Now, Dale Okazaki, I believe she had just come, you know, from getting groceries or something of the sort. And she had heard something or someone in the kitchen. Like, things were really quiet. Miss Maria Hernandez was not home just yet. I believe she was just about to enter or something of that nature. Um, let's see. Because, so the way that they described it in the documentary was kind of flip-flopped. They described the murder of Dale before they described, you know, Maria entering. So the way I'm going to approach this is that Maria was actually, you know, going to unlock the door. Um, so at this point, Dale was already in the kitchen and Maria was outside, right? Uh, so Maria goes to unlock the door and in the garage. The garage door is still open. And they were meaning to say that uh, Richard Ramirez, he was standing behind her. He could have just shot her, but he wanted the confirmation, you know, of looking in her eyes prior shooting her. So he hit the roof or the hood of the car so she would turn around and face him. When she turned around and faced him, he fired the gun. However, the bullet deflected off of her keys. And, you know, she was knocked to the ground, but the bullet had deflected. 
he ended up walking past her, you know, thinking that he had shot her. And whenever he walked past her, uh, Maria Hernandez, you know, ran for the, the alley. And this is where he has the confrontation with Dale. Dale ends up hearing, you know, there's something in the kitchen, something of the sort. So she ends up ducking down behind the counter. Hmm. When you, when she was ducking down behind the counter, you know how, like, you put your hands up on the counter and you just try to, like, pull yourself up to peer over? Uh-huh. He was on the other side of the counter and he knew that she was going to do exactly that because he could see her hands. And he waited until he saw her eyes and shot her in the face. Oof. So he just waited. You know, he didn't try to go around the corner trying to shoot her. No, he knew exactly what was going to happen. Now, Maria Hernandez, uh, hearing this, hearing the shot, she became, you know, worried for her roommate. So she went around the, I believe, the front because she was thinking that he was going to come out the garage. Let me see if I got that flipped around real quick. Um. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, exactly that. You know, she went around front and she was thinking he's just going to go back out the garage door. That didn't happen. So he went out the front door and they met face to face. And apparently, allegedly, he was just as surprised to see her as she was to see him. And uh, the witness, she had stated, she says she raised her hands up and she was like, look, you you already shot me once. You really got to shoot me again. And apparently at that point, he just looked at her, put his gun down, and just walked away. What the fuck? He didn't, he didn't run. He didn't, you know, he wasn't scared. He just walked away. So he let her go. And it was funny because in the garage laid that ACDC hat. Hmm. And the lady from earlier, Miss Esther, she was the one who identified him initially before that murder was ever committed. She was the one that was able to link that hat with his face. Now. on So I have on March 18th, 1985 was the second murder, which was uh, Silent You. I don't know what you have as a second murder, but. So um, I, so my second murder is, uh, is Dale. My first murder was Jeannie, and in fact, they said that he was so unsatisfied with how things played out with Dale and Maria that he killed, um, what's the name, Sai or Sue? Silent Yu? Yeah, um, he killed Silent Yu that same day. So Silent Yu, I believe, she was actually killed for her car. That's it. Um, he was actually not known to be killing two, like twice in the same day until much later. Um, because I remember specifically in the documentary that they made that into another occurrence because his killings got so violent and so wild that the two killings in one day or two crimes in one day uh, became like eyebrow raising, really alarming, like. It was wild. I have so much more to say on that because of the things that started happening at those crime scenes. And I don't just mean the killings. Like, some crazy stuff has happened at those crime scenes. Oh, yeah. There's, um... There's some stuff that happens in them. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. But basically, Miss Maria Hernandez, you know, she's alive. She's seen his face. She's, you know, she remembers him, right? So when the cops are called, you know, she, they have her describe him, you know, that way they can come up with a composite. And whenever the composite is finished and, you know, his portrait or his profile is drawn up, one of the cops, uh, I believe it's actually Gil, he makes a connection. He says, this this headshot looks a lot like the one, you know, of the, the composite from an attempted kidnapping earlier, earlier in Pico Rivera. And so, uh, let's see. I went to the third murder scene. Let's see. Okay, so this is the one where it's a little gruesome. I don't have much written down here. Um, but I do not though know that there was the eye gouging here um, and a raping that was also here. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this down as my third murder scene. Um, initially, he had, I think he had put in a pillow over her face and I think maybe like something in her mouth like to, to um, gag her. Yeah, to gag her. I wanted to say gauze. I'm like, that is not the word. Um, to gag her. And he just kept saying, don't look at me. Don't look at me. And this is a pattern every time he leaves a rape victim um, alive. Is they always say that he said, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Or if you look at me, I'll do X, Y, and Z to whichever and whatever. Right? So apparently something had happened. Either she looked at him. Or, um, you know, did it maybe resisted him, whichever, whatever. He ended up gouging her eyes out and then taking them with her, with him. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, her eyes were nowhere to be found. Like, he took them with him. Probably ate them. Do not say that. I will gag right here, right now. I mean, out of all the shit that he's done. But this actually was the first, um... How do you say the first incident where a clue was left, like a solid, substantial clue was left. And basically, oh, that's very interesting. Okay, so mind you, all the killings that had happened before, the only thing linking them was a point, uh, was a 22. You know, he shot them with the 22. But now they had a shoe print in this last um, in this last killing. So the last killing, the shoe print was a size 11 and a half to 12 shoe, right? Um, okay, and so now in my notes, we have where the linking between the kidnappings are occurring. Um, and in this case, this gets a, this is just a forewarning. Uh, I'm going to go into a bit of detail of one specific kidnapping of a six-year-old named Miss Anastasia. And it's pretty thorough. It's a little, it's a little distasteful. Uh, I actually had to listen to this again because the second, the first time I didn't hear everything that I heard on the second time. So Miss Anastasia, she was kidnapped from her bedroom at age six. Um, and mind you, the person narrating this on the documentary was her. She was older. She was, you know, a grown woman, but it was her narrating it. 
Um, so she was kidnapped and she said she was just woken up and she didn't know any better. You know, she was six years old and she was just thinking, you know, maybe this is like a family member, you know, it's okay. I can go with them because she's groggy and, you know, she doesn't realize it. Um, he ended up having a duffel bag and he told her to get into it. Um, but prior him doing that, you know, like she was in the car and he told her to open up the glove compartment. So she opened up the glove compartment and he, she saw, you know, that there was a gun inside and he said, just so you know, that's in there, you know, and that was it. Um, eventually he gets to the side of the road and he says, okay, I need you to get in this duffel bag, you know, get in this duffel bag. So she got in the duffel bag, he zipped it up. And they went to, uh, I guess, like, where he was staying. It was kind of like an abandoned household. Um, she said that there was takeout orders everywhere. There was old food, um, something really dark that was covering the windows so no, no one could see into it. Um, she said it smelled dingy and, like, sour. And that one thing in particular she remembers um, about that place is that Madonna was playing on repeat uh so the songs of like a virgin and something else i can't remember but it was those types of songs that was playing and she says this is not like my house like she remembers her herself thinking like this is this isn't my house kind of thing um so while she was there he you know it it escalated into, you know, her doing favors for him, that sort of ordeal. And then he proceeded to sexually assault her. Um, it was so continuous and so, like, ongoing. She would ask, you know, to go to the bathroom. And, like, just to get him to stop. Because she would tell him, like, hey, like, this hurts. Like, stop. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't stop. But she would ask to go to the bathroom and he'd stop what he was doing, you know, pick her up and then plop her on the sink, wait for her to go. When she didn't go, you know, he took her back down and continued. And she said that that happened maybe three times and each time he would stop. Uh, but eventually he got to the point where, you know, he made the realization like, you know, you're you don't have to go. You know, you're just, you're just pausing this. Um. She said she remembered that there was something about the way that he looked at her. Um, like, I'm sorry that I'm doing this to you, but I'm not sorry because I'm not going to stop. And when everything was said and done, uh, he told her to get back in the duffel bag. And that way they left wherever they were going or they had come from, I should say. And eventually, he had. she said he pulled on the side of the road, and he said, look, there's a gas station on the other side of the street. I want you to go in there, call 911, and have your family come pick you up. And that was the end of that. Hmm. Yeah. So, that was, one, that was the first, like, report of an attempted kidnapping that was reported that was the little girl who identified him in the lineup and 
it's crazy because you see this repeated like you don't see any children that was kidnapped that wasn't killed rephrase that was killed like they were all assaulted every last one of them but they were all let go you know what I mean mm-hmm. and even the women like oftentimes like he would rape them and that was his main like thing for the women so he'd rape them unless they fought him then he killed them you know what I mean so it's pretty intense to say the least um let's see Oh yeah, so this is actually the, after this this uh, happening. You know, Gil explained they had um, I guess the little girl kind of see if you know the, his picture looked familiar or something of the nature. And this is where Gil proposed that the person doing the kidnappings is the same person causing the murders. And apparently, no one from the bureau took him seriously. They all scoffed at him. They all laughed at him, and they laughed him out the uh, out the bureau. He said, "I did not expect for that kind of turnout." He said, "Everyone thought that you know I'm this because he was the youngest detective or the youngest cop on in the bureau," and he's. They were like, "You're just trying to you know make a name for yourself, X, Y, and Z," but they laughed it out because there was no record of at the time of any sort of you know serial killer not having. A pattern not having like this the things that are going on now you know what I mean like they were Mm -hmm. expecting you know different people and Gil was like no it's I'm pretty sure it's the same person because you know there's cases going on there's murders happening his murder was for Dale you know his murders weren't like that his case was his murder was Dale but he was keeping track of all these other cases you know and he knew all the information about it right um, but after that, you know, um, let's see. Okay, so shortly after that, there was a call uh, to, like, the police station. These girls called. They said, hey, this guy was, like, stalking us. He was, you know, following us in the car, and, you know, he wasn't letting us leave. You know, he was, like, we got away from him. But just so you guys know, like, this is, this is actively happening. So they send a patrol car unit. They go to the location where they initially were and they look for the car that was described. They end up just watching this guy from afar, you know, not knowing, you know, who it was or what or anything like that. But they watch this guy from afar and they remember the cops patrolling him saying, yo, this guy's a freak. They were like, any female that he sees that's alone he breaks everything and just tries to go after them. And so they ended up, you know, um, catching him around the corner and, you know, able to bring him in, bring him into custody. And Gil was the one that was interviewing him. And he's like, dude, well, like, what's, what's going on here? Uh, he's like, you're, you're stalking all these females. And so he said, that you know Richard responded well I like females you know there's nothing like like I like women there's nothing wrong with that and he said well you know you're stalking all these females but one comes around like on the right side of you and you've ducked behind a garbage can or something and he goes ah I was tying my shoe like I wasn't hiding 
And Gil remembered um, that, like, he was funny because he had a response for everything. He had an answer. They ended up getting a warrant on the guy just to check out his place, see if, like, he was in relatance because, you know, that over-obsession with females kind of had the potentiality to be something more. Can you guess what he, they found in his, his house? Was it eyeballs? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm telling but you I'm he pretty ate sh- them. Huh? I'm telling no, you he ate them. Stop. I don't need that kind of protein image in my mind. Oh, God. Okay. No. Any other questions? Not questions. Any other uh, assumptions? Ideas? Thoughts? Not that I can think of. Okay. Well, apparently sprawled out all over his apartment was magazine cutouts you know all about women all like basically porn cutouts and they were all nude and everything of the sort and on top of that there was women's underwear with a crotch slashed huh yeah so was that from a previous victim I have no idea. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's from a previous victim. Um, but if that was the case, they would have made note of that on their previous bodies and be like, huh, I wonder if this like lines up. But either way, they pull him in. They pull him in for a lineup. And they, you know, they have him in a lineup. But even Maria Hernandez herself could not pick him out from the lineup. Did he have his face covered whenever she was attacked no no she did not have no he did not have his face covered on no circumstance had he ever had his face covered then how could she not pick him out should have i know (laughs) but she couldn't pick him out and honestly i will say i watched the lineup the way the lineup looked um from that lineup to uh if you can hear a cat that's mochi she wants to come in can you hear her? Yes, I can. <laughs> She's like, have you? I want pets. No, but anyway, um, I looked at the two lineups, you know, the one from the beginning, the one from the end of the documentary. Um, they look similar, but like they don't look anything at all. And so whenever Miss Maria couldn't pick him out from the lineup, one of the detectives told Gil, he says, the dude's a freak, but uh, he's not your freak. And they ended up, you know, letting them go and whatnot. Now, I I honestly, from looking at the documentary, it didn't look like the guy. It actually looked like his friend. Because his friend does come back into the picture trying to cover for him. And it, like, towards the end. And honestly, the lineup looks like the picture resembling his friend. So, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it was initially Richard. But I'm pretty sure that, like... It wasn't him. It was just someone else that was freaky. Freaky deaky. Uh, let's see. Where else am I? Okay. So. Oh, wow. My notes are everywhere. Even though I like wrote it down in accordance with. The I think it's document. It, it should also be vital to note. One of the things that people noticed the most about him was how poor his hygiene was. Oh, yeah. So he was noted to have disheveled hair. Um, his skin tone was 
they said he was a light, light, light skin, or he was Caucasian, so he was either Hispanic or he was uh, white. And they remember his body odor being much like a goat. He had very strong body odor. Um, now, I don't know if they said goat because of, you know, his satanic references later down the line or because if you've ever had a goat, mind you, I've had a goat. If you've ever had a goat, they have obnoxiously strong scent. Like It's fucking it's, disgusting. It's lucid. And it, it's crazy because when you have a male goat, they try to rub up on you. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're, because like animals, they know whenever you're in, you're on your cycle or not. Like that's why they say never get into, uh, like a stall with a horse that's a male on your cycle. You will die. They will try to mount you. It well, I didn't happened. know that, but thanks. Yeah, it's it's happened to me before. Ew. Uh, no, I mean like it's crazy. Like I I used to work at um like I used to volunteer to help race horses, and my favorite horse, his name was Leroy. He ended up passing away. But he was a male. He was one of the older horses. Uh, he used to be like one of the fastest race horses. And every time I'd go in and like I'd give him brush, like I'd brush him and everything. And one time in particular, I, you know, it was, it was that time and I was to go brush him. And my buddy that I was with at the time, he's, he was in the stall with me. He says, you need to get out of the stall right now. And I was like, why was going on? He's like, look at that. And the horse was very erected and yeah. It was, yeah i know and i was just like okay he's like look what you did to him you know like you you you're hurting the horse i was like i didn't do anything <laughs> so be very mindful of that like stay stay out of like horses or any sort of male animal because what a goat will do just is stay away from actually, males just stay just, away from the male species it's fine. just stay away from males in general. Um, Doesn't matter what it is, just stay away from male. But what a male goat will do uh, is he will take his head and rub him, rub his head like all over you, wherever he can get you to put his scent on you. And if you like, it takes two seconds and you will smell like goat, and it's the worst thing ever. So. Just, just noting. Um, and in addition to that, he also was said to be missing several teeth, um, and his teeth were stained and that sort of ordeal. And um, he would wear a dark members-only jacket and dark clothing and uh, dark shoes. Like it was all dark. Like it was all black. Uh, and that was the description. He was tall and he was slender. He had, you know, um, very slender frame. That kind of thing. So, um, so at this point in time, uh, they had actually done, you know, research on the shoe size now initially. Okay. So let me say this, the, I'm going to try to go off of my notes, like not read them because I feel like I can remember it in better sequence than I wrote it. Um, around this time there was, so cops are weird about jurisdiction for once in think they're quite possessive if you've ever noticed i don't know if you've ever noticed it but they're quite possessive Mm -hmm. um and they they'll stay in their lane but if there's like a detection not detection like a detective doing like a homicide case and it's in like lapd jurisdiction which is essentially a different jurisdiction than the bureau um they won't tell them anything they won't tell them, you know, what's going on, which is very bad because it's bad for the entirety of the case. You know, there's information coming in that no one else is sharing, which is bad. Like, that's not good. 
Oh, and so... And I think that's that ended up being what led to such a long trial for him was because of the jurisdiction. They Not were only that, him. but there was crimes being committed 500 miles away that no one told anyone of. And they fell in line with the same... Like, it was him committing these crimes 500 miles away. From southern, uh, so- southern slash like western Los Angeles, but because it was in LAPD jurisdiction, no one was saying anything about. It. They found out about it because a detective, uh, saw like a cop, like an LAPD cop or someone who was friends with one, uh, out in the front yard and just started casually talking up a conversation. And whenever they started telling them about what was going on 500 miles away from the area. He said he didn't even let his jaw drop because no one tells him anything. So he was letting him give them information so they could help, like, close the case. Hmm. Not only that, but LAPD seriously came as a, like, a big wall into this because um, of another situation. Like, there was a big piece of evidence that happened on, like, a minor occurrence. But it was a huge piece of evidence because it was linked to Richard and LAPD basically like walled it if that makes sense like they they didn't do what they say they were going to do and so they lost the evidence so but basically right now we're at the point where um they're realizing you know so this it this all these crimes are linked to these shoe prints you know um the kidnappings and everything of the sort and initially the lapd you know head chief he was like look i'm i have a size like 10 shoe you're looking for a bigger foot and Gil's like, what? Like, put put him on the phone. Like, put the chief on the phone. So he was like, how did you get a size 10 whenever I'm looking from at the ruler that says size 11, 11 and a half to 12? And he's saying that the chief literally p- took his shoe and tried to measure it like that. And he says, okay, I have a size 10. This covers it. And must, we must be looking for a size 10. Oh, my fucking God. I kid you not and he was like look i'm sorry i'm gonna have to go ahead and fix that so now this is their first official substantial piece of evidence that everything is linked how 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 are (laughs) what is someone fire him please and that's that's the chief that is the chief that's terrifying that is fucking that's why he got to murder so many people oh yeah oh yeah not even that not even that so once they had that they start really looking into the shoe, like heavily researching it. As they, they should have been from the start. I mean, yeah, but like now they're coming out with like some intense. Here's how crazy this is. See, I, I think I, I wrote down the statistics too. This part I am going to read because it's it's big dumb. Okay. So, um, so the bottom print of the shoe matched that of an Avia shoe. Specifically, an aerobics shoe size eleven and a half, as opposed to like one of the coach or tennis shoes. Right? Uh, spreadsheets were provided by the inventor of the shoe of the sales. So the detectives have went specifically to the inventor of the shoe and was like, "Listen, this is what's going on. I'm going to need you to tell me everything you got." Right? Uh, they learned that on January 9th, 1985, so the same year, just a few months earlier, because all these uh, incidences are essentially taking place in March, 1,356 pairs were distributed to Taiwan, or 
from Taiwan. Oh my gosh, from Taiwan <laughs> throughout the U.S. Man, I can't speak. Okay, so they started out with that many initially being distributed. So from what they had gotten from the victims, you know, they felt that the shoes were black. So narrowing it down to only six, eleven and a half black Avia shoes manufactured. Five of them went to Arizona, and only one went to LA. They weren't able to track it any further, but it became solid evidence that the that linked several cases to one kind of shoe to a specific person. That ended up becoming his trademark. Now, here's some crazy shit. Okay, so that was a solid piece of evidence and everything of the sort. Now, let's see. Oh, okay. So this is kind of disgusting. This is this is where his stuff gets like real gross. Okay. Are you ready for it? <laughs> Cuz I don't think I am. Honestly, at this point, <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for this. Okay. I mean, yeah. So now in addition to the shoes, that was that was a solid pattern, right? But now there's um kind of like an an action or a scene that's being played on top of the crime scene at the crime scenes. Now his killings aren't just involving killings, they're involving theft. And on top of that, he he is showing very like comfortableness, comfortableness in these killings. He'll spend three hours in a singular household. And what he does is he commits his crime. He whether he rapes, he kills, he does both. Whether he uses theft either one he'll open up the fridge and he'll treat himself to whatever's in the fridge and leave the evidence out oh my god so like they'll walk in on a camp on like um a cantaloupe with a spoon in it half eaten this particular murder uh it was like a man and a woman uh they walked in there was food that had eaten he had thrown it up and then he had masturbated right after. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Just a normal Tuesday night. <laughs> it's... <laughs> no. Um, and it was that scene in particular. Like, that is something you kind of have to remember for this episode. Because it was that scene in particular that pushed the detective who caught a hold of his friend at towards the end of this. Like, t- to its bridge. And he... who. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it later, but remember that. Okay. So let's see. I'm so sorry. There's like so many notes. Oh, okay. 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 I have it. This is the part I that frustrated the cracker jacks out of me. know there's such thing called as the media right and news reporters oh yeah so let's see what her name was because i wanted to fight her through and through um it was miss laurel erickson 
she had called Frank. Mind you, they were they had reached out, you know, saying, hey, this is the description. This is the guy that we're looking for. They said nothing about these shoes because the shoes was the key evidence. If this, like, serial killer stopped wearing his shoes, they would have nothing to link him to any further crimes. Right? So, this reporter, she calls Frank. And she's questioning about the Avia shoes. And he's like, what? He's like, she's like, yeah, tell me about these via shoes that I heard you have, like you have word of. And the person that was interviewing him for this documentary, he's like, how did she figure it out? And he's like, no doubt that there was some detective that leaked it to her. He's like, I'd like to know who did it because I'd like to soccer punch him. Like, it's so dumb. And she's saying, okay, well, what can you tell me about these via shoes? He says, I can't tell you anything about these via shoes. Uh, she says, well, I'm going to do a story on it. And he's like, you can't do a story on it. Like, you're going to blow our case. And she says, I don't care. I'm going to do a story on it. And then he says, okay, hold on, hold on. So he sent uh, to talk to his chief. Like, he sent her to talk to his chief. She struck a deal with him uh, that she wouldn't say anything about the shoes as long as they gave her a story to put in its place. So what they traded out was the chief says, you're going to walk out. And her and her crew is going to be right there. They're going to be ready to interview you. And you're going to tell them everything that you can without exposing the details of this case. So that's exactly what they did. And they actually found out that the killer, just like majority of others, because they want to know what's going on, watches the news. You know, they listen. They're listening specifically to the news of what the cops know. And that's sort of a deal. So whenever they found out that I think in the Daryl case, uh, is it Daryl? Dale? Dale? In the Dale case. Oh my gosh. Why didn't you correct me? I had to correct myself. <laughs> That's rude. In the Dale case, uh, Maria Hernandez, they were actually able to call the police. So from then on out, he started pulling and cutting the cords to the phone lines. So that's how they knew that he was listening. You know what I mean? Or that's how they knew that he was following the papers or any sort of news form of media. Um, let's see. Okay, so in this time, there was also an occurrence that happened um, where this car got caught speeding, right? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. This car, mind you, like these instances are so random, but they all piece together. This car got uh, caught speeding. Oh, and mind you, also, the time before this, the previous one where he was eating a cantaloupe, this is where the pentagram started being drawn on the wall. Now, the detectives had known what a pentagram was, but they didn't know what it meant to him. Because, like, is he trying to be a Manson copycat? Is, like, he actually a devotee? Is it... Mind you, I also want to throw in, since this is, like, a pagan cast, he used the wrong pentagram. Oh my god. Are you serious? I'm not even joking. He used the wrong pentagram. Like, literally in the photos, it's not even inverted. On his hand, it was the only one that was ever inverted. Kid you not. Like, I wanted to fight this man. I I was watching this documentary, and I actually, I saw it, and I paused it. I was like, are you joking? Are you really a devotee if you can't even get the pentagram right? (laughs) Are you joking? that, That begs the question. Was this all just, you know for aesthetic oh no i have quotes sweetie but like even then you joking are you 
Come I on. mean, well, here's the thing. I'm about to get real in depth with this. So, like, a lot of people are like, oh, well, he was, like, super into Satanism. But, like, that's not a common mistake. Like, that is not something that real Satanists mistake. Exactly. So, so, I mean, my thought process is, you know. You're a knockoff wannabe? No, it's Christians, they use churches as money all the time they they use the aesthetic and the look of a church so people will give them money and they'll do whatever they need to do for money so what if he was using satanism as a form of fame mm-hmm. to connect him well that's mm-hmm. i guess in a way it was working because they wondered if he was a copycat of manson but i will say because that started let me go to this car right so, you know, this officer, you know, he's driving down the road casually, you know, it's going to be a normal, like, you're speeding, I'm going to pull you over, I don't know who you are or anything of the sort, right? So this car is speeding, he pulls him over, and he asks for his license and registration. He doesn't have his license, so the cop ends up walking back, you know, he asks him to step out the car and everything, and the cop ends up walking back to his car for a citation book. He, he's going to give him a citation. And Willis, the cop, is doing this. Uh, his radio comes on. And the person over the radio, it, oh, I don't like that. Something just knocked on the door and I did not like it. And it was not a cat. It's because Richard it was, like, Ramirez. It was one of those, it was, listen, don't even get me started because he was an American horror story and they got his story accurate. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to turn on this light because it's like that. Okay. So the person over the radio comes on and they're giving a description. They're saying literally what the car looked like um, that, mind you, it's the same car that he's driving uh, of an attempted kidnapping that he just came from. Oh, my God. So they have a description. They have a situation, everything of the sort. And so Richard Ramirez, he's hearing this and he goes as quote unquote by the detective like describing this on the documentary he says feet don't fail me now draws a pentagram mind you the wrong pentagram but he draws it on the window and then takes off running by Are the you- time what bro this man what? had balls by the time he the officer turns around he's gone and he now has information like okay this this car is here now let me tell you about this car okay this car, uh, once like they see the pentagram and everything. Okay, I don't like that. There was another. Did you hear that? No. What the fuck? Okay, hang on. Dear, are you knocking? Are you knocking? You're gonna be in here with me, okay? It's fine. Cause I don't appreciate the random little knocks. Okay. So. They recover this car, right? Only after they recover the car, because, you know, now the guy's missing. They look into the car. The car was stolen. (laughs) Obviously. Dude's late. All he was going to do was give him a citation. They weren't going to do anything. Dumb. But I... So, this car is covered as stolen, and they see the pentagram, and they're like, okay. This can't really be a quinky dink. So, but... 
guess what? The car is in LAPD jurisdiction. This is that piece of evidence I was talking about. So, mind you, under all of these circumstances, under all of these cases, this man, he wears gloves. Like, they never, ever find any sort of fingerprint. Nothing. There, there's no fingerprint. There's no partials. There's, there's nothing. So, the only potential fingerprint that could be found is going to be in this car, right? Potentially. That's a big maybe. But... You know, uh, Homicide Bureau says, okay, we need to scan this for prints. We need to run this for prints. Everything of the sort. We need to process it. LAPD says, no, no, no. Our, our jurisdiction, we got it. Now, mind you, they never get it. Okay? They never. They never get it. And Homicide Bureau, they're, you know, they're asking questions. They're like, hey, listen, we're like, what's the update? What's it? No one's telling them anything. And... Uh, the documentary described it. Oh, dude, my ring came off. Yo, when did it come off? I'm sorry. That was really random. I looked on, because I put on another ring, and it's missing. And that was an important ring. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, it was just a silver band, but, like, it was one of my old rings that I used to have. And I just looked at my finger, and I was trying to fiddle with it. I was like, yo, I don't even have it on. Uh-oh. Anyway, I'll I'll look for it later. But like, <laughs> dang, I just realized that it's been already over an hour. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> I don't even remember where I was. Oh yeah, like we'll get it. So after the homicide bureau, they put a little more, as he said, heat down LAPD and whoever was, you know, manning the cop car or not the cop car, the car. Um, they ended up, you know, giving them access to it. They said, fine, you know, this is where it's being held. Only to come find out that where it's being held was in direct sunlight outside. So any potential fingerprints, any potential evidence was burned off. I fucking hate. I fucking hate cops, bro. (laughs) I fucking hate. They're so stupid and they don't, they don't help. They don't help anything. Like who gives these people jobs? Who's who is allowing them? To Mind have you, these jobs? this was in the early 1980s. So I know, which means that that was literally the only evidence that could have helped their case at the time. Well, okay, so they didn't find much of anything in this car. Like there, there yeah, I'm no... not surprised considering the. You know what? Go ahead, just go ahead. <laughs> Calm down. It's fine. It's fine. And you know. It's like... <laughs> I, I want to be like, oh, we've gotten better. No, we haven't. They still do this shit today. Honestly, yeah. They're weird about jurisdiction. Like, they're, they're like so territorial. It's like a pissing contest. Speaking of which, I really need to use the bathroom, but there's no mute button. There's no pause button. <laughs> anyway. Just take us to the bathroom with you. It's fine. You know what? ASMR. It's gonna, it's gonna be like insert that uh that one scene from Mean Girls. Now listen to my urine hit the water. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not even Mean Girls. It was from Riverdale, I think. Are we gonna have to do like an intermission? No, it's fine. I'll it'll be fine. I, I'm gonna try to wrap this up. Okay. So, but what they did find in the car was uh, a dentist card, a dental dental office card, right? And this dental office card was for a dental office in Chinatown. And the detectives saw this and they're like, 
are you joking? Are you absolutely joking? Because the dental office card had an appointment written on it. Oh. And they're like, are you absolutely joking? Because they, the man had his appointment, like a check-in appointment, three or four days prior to them finding that car. They could have already had the man into custody. This is, now, rem- this is like super reminiscent of like the Jean Benet Ramsey case. And like, I know you don't know what it is, but it's one of the world's like biggest unsolved child murder cases. And the even police officers who were and, detect- and detectives who were working this case were like, honestly, there had to be some ulterior motive. Um, on the department side because there we could have gone about this a whole different way and it's our own fault why there wasn't enough evidence oh yeah well because they were lazy <laughs> they let people trample all over shit and they took their sweet ass time getting evidence back oh well then if that's the case you're gonna be really pissy about how this ends oh. like majorly pissy I already know how he dies, and it makes me want to punch a wall. Not so. even that. It's not even that. It's his charge situation that happens. But we're going to get there. So on the appointment note, get this. He had his first name on there, Richard, but the last name was Mena. And so they said he gave some faulty name. He gave some, like, uh incorrect and proper address like it was incorrect but what they ended up doing is they ended up going to this dental office in chinatown right and this dental office in chinatown they're like hey listen we have like this guy he was supposed to have an appointment here x y and z what can you give me they gave him his uh dental x-rays mind you he got some badoodle teeth oh yeah like it was bad it was real bad so like crackhead teeth definition like it was bad (laughs) but what they do is they take these x-rays and the detective says he took them to a buddy of his who was you know a professional in the field like he was also a dentist but he was reliable he says what can you tell me about these x-rays he says what i can tell you is says he's gonna be back you know he's got an impacted tooth and it's probably killing him now yo i don't appreciate this more knocking. I don't appreciate this at all. Now my cats are in the room and there's random knocking. I don't like it. I'm closing the door. You guys are stuck in here with me. I'm just letting you know. Oh god, is it Richard Ramirez? He's Stop coming it! <laughs> I don't appreciate your shit, okay? He's like, hey, I heard you, I heard you bitches were looking for me. Bitch, here I go. <laughs> listen. Okay, listen. Listen. So, he says he's gonna be back. So, what? Mind you, now it's Gil. Initially, it was like Frank narrating. Does it really matter? But Gil and Frank, they essentially, once they hear this, they deploy two Asian uh, detectives in said facility. Now, that sounds really, like, wrong because it's Chinatown. But they did it in order to blend in because, like, that's who's in the dental office. That's the mm-hmm. sort of, like, ethnicity. and sort. Of, so they were supposed to blend in. They were in there every day from open to close. Then you have people saying in their branch, in their bureau, like, you're wasting money. You're wasting hours on deploying them there. And they're in there for, like, maybe a week, week and a half, I think. And they were in there from open to close. And, you know, Gil goes, you know what? All right. 
So what they did is they installed a emergency buzzer that immediately calls them as soon as he is he enters the area, right? The day that they pull their detectives, he shows up. He shows up. Motherfucker. Hold on, I'm not done. The day towards the end of it, uh Frank gets a call. He says, "Dude, where were you?" He goes, "Huh?" He says, "He was here today. I was pushing the buzzer and like you guys never showed up." Whoever installed said buzzer, said button, wired it incorrectly. Oh. And so, like, it just didn't work. I can feel the anger. <laughs> I can't. It's, it's radiating in my body. Oh. Like, I'm, I'm not done. If I, I was a detective on not that done. fucking case, my fist would be going through someone's fucking skull. I would be arrested for murder. Okay? Like, it's not a game. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is, like, petty bullshit mistakes that can very easily be avoided oh yeah i'm i'm not even not even done like i this the case has been solved and i already feel like i need to smoke a cigarette like (laughs) hold on i feel like i'm I'm the one with the drinking problem (laughs) you want to hear some paranormal stuff on this podcast listen to this that happens next okay literally the day after the day after this we have an account of Mr. and Mrs. Peterson. Do we know about them? Have you known about them? Give me a sec. And if you do, don't say anything. Just say yes or no. <laughs> I like how we have to have like some sort of <laughs> elevator music playing while we look <laughs> No, I don't have any Petersons. All right, listen to this paranormal crack addict. Oh my god. All right, listen to this. Listen. Okay. This was at nighttime. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have this married couple sleeping in their bed. Mm-hmm. Right? He comes in mm-hmm. and he shoots Mrs. Peterson in the head. Uh-huh. Now, listen, the bullet goes through, I believe, the right nostril into the back and gets stuck in the back of her uh, left head. She does not die. She she ends up screaming. Waking up Mr. Peterson. He ends up getting shot right in the head through, like, the lower bit of the temple, like, right where your ear kind of is, Mm -hmm. connecting to that area. He gets shot there. The bullet doesn't go through. Bitch. He ends up you what? What the fuck? <laughs> I'm not done yet. Because watching the documentary of the detectives going over this particular thing was the funniest thing I had ever seen. So, um, because you have two different detectives narrating this, right? You have Frank and you have Gil, the, the partners. And th- it's funny because, like, earlier in the documentary, they tell you how the, like, the, it was the most unlikely pairing because they're polar opposites of each other. Gil's like the comical, like young, fun guy, and Frank is the one who doesn't smile or make any sort of like facial expressions, right? <laughs> so, Mr. Peterson just got shot in the head. His wife is bleeding. She's shot in the head. Both of them are alive, but Mr. Peterson immediately gets up and chases him out of the house. Bitch. Oh my and, God. Hold on. 
So Frank is Frank is narrating this. He says he's got a gun in his hand and he's running away. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he just showed his true character. He's a coward, right? And Fucking he said this pussy. over the media. For one, he said this over the media, which he claims that he shouldn't have done, but he was pissed essentially because like, you know, of everything he's been doing. But he said it over the media. The media took pictures of his face and gave him extensive details of his life. And so Frank was like, he's like, it was stupid. I shouldn't have said it, but I was pissed and I meant it. He's like, but that was the first night I ever slept with a gun. Meanwhile, Gil, he's like, Mr. Peterson chased him out. And he starts running with a gun in his hand. He says, honestly, if I shot someone in the head and they start running after me, I'm going to run too. <laughs> I mean, like, that's fair. That's it was, fair. <laughs> it was funny. I died. I actually, I had to hit the pause and the rewind because I was, I was gone. It was too comical. <laughs> so that happened. So now you have two very visible, like, victims. We have two very visible, like, they're alive, right? Yeah, and it's funny because like documenting the uh, incidents, the progress, they had to take pictures of them, and you just see the person smiling. Like, I survived this. Like, it was it was funny. Um, I got shot in the head and I lived, bitch. <laughs> uh, but what was interesting is that now a new gun was introduced. Um, it was a it was a twenty five auto, and the ammunition uh, was another trademark because it was old ammunition that they no longer manufacture. It has a sort of uh, red primer on the bullet. So you would find these casings uh, with this red primer and you, you know, you'd be able to connect it because no one else really has it anymore. It's old, it's old ammunition. So this is where the news articles start coming out. This is where, like, uh, they start doing papers on this guy. Mind you, I don't know why they didn't do this earlier, but it's fine. Um, they start trying to name him. They start trying to give Listen, him a name. Listen, at this point, when have they ever done anything that they should have in this entire <laughs> investigation? <laughs> I'm not even done yet. And honestly, I will say, this is about the time where I started leaving out information. Because I'm like, you know what? You guys want an in-depth. Just go watch the documentary. Like, I know that's what this podcast is for, but at the same time, you know how thorough, like, this is? At, the, at that point, I'd be quoting documentary. You know what I mean? But this is where the branding comes in. They start saying the KNBC, you know, he's the walk-in killer. He's the valley intruder. And then the Herald Examiner says he's the night stalker. Okay? And let's see. I, I, I under, what is this? Oh, okay. So this is the part where I kind of stopped taking notes. Um, but basically, he had another encounter with another female uh, that he let live. But essentially, in this encounter, he says, yes, I am the Night Stalker. So they understood that that was a name that he liked. You know, that was a branding that he, he approved of. So that was fun. Mm. Um, so, Okay. This is so in my notes now. I get to the point where they are starting to track him down. Okay, I do skip ahead heavily, but it's still pretty intense. So, you know how there's thefts in these killings and in these crimes and in these scenes? Mm -hmm. 
that is essentially how they find him. So, well, I I had heard that towards the end, the last couple of killings, they connected it with a with a somewhat similar pattern, which was shoot the husband, assault the wife. Oh, they didn't even mention that in the thing. That's just something I kind of caught a hold of while watching it. Oh, no, that was something that they pointed out when I read the article. It was like, his pattern was shoot the husband, assault the wife. Over and over again. That's what they found. Well, it's funny because in the household that he he spent three hours for, he shot the husband, he assaulted the wife, and he also assaulted the little boy that was there. Yeah, they found out. Uh, later, I think, that he was assaulting children, too, I believe. Yeah. He was part of it. They already connected him before the, like, before they even found, um, whenever they found that shoe print, and they realized, hey, this is the same shoe, that they immediately knew that he, he was also, like, assaulting children. He was also part of the kidnappings. So, okay, I get to the point where I think it was like this detective or something. He was talking to this lady and he noticed she had a bracelet on. And he's like, Where did you get that bracelet? He said, She's like, Oh, um, my boyfriend gave it to me. He said he got it from his friend who lived in El Paso. His name is Rick. Okay. Uh, and then they had another situation where he goes to like, like it was it was several things. Um I honestly I should have written it down clearer. But it started with the bracelet. Um and eventually they located down to a friend, a friend of uh Richard. And they said they got the name because of that friend. Right? And basically all the items led to his friend. It was like a boombox, uh a gun. The gun, the 22 that he had used which actually shipped off uh, with a guy in Taiwan, okay, um, and they were able to recover that twenty-two, and it was they also recovered a boombox that was stolen from Mister and Mrs. Peterson, I think, or um, one of the previous ones before them. Actually, I would assume the previous ones before him because he was chased out of the house. Um, hi, Mochi. Um, let's see. Okay, so basically, the cops approached his friend, and he says, look, hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta help us. You could possibly help us with one of the biggest cases uh, in L.A. history right now. You know, the biggest case in the state of California. And he says, your friend, Rick, he's, he's, a, he's a killer. We're gonna need you to help us, you know, catch him, get us his last name. And apparently, at that point, his friend's tone totally changed. He says... He's not a killer. You know, I'm not going to help you or anybody else. Like, you're wrong. Whichever, whatever. Like, clearly he was defending him. Not in a way like he was in disbelief and denial. Right? And Frank says that he remembers exclusively. uh, He says, I took him and I placed him in the car. And I said, listen, this is going to go one of two ways. 
you're gonna tell me like his last name or you're gonna tell me his name like that that that's that's just it you don't have one of two ways is that like that's it right and he remembers like striking him like the frank remembers striking his friend in the face and he he touches his face he says is that all you got and like at that point frank says he remembers you know the eating the raping the murders the masturbation he remembers it all in that moment and he says he hikes up his his fist all the way to the windshield and he was getting ready to like just fire it at him and he threw up his arms in a cross and he said Richard Ramirez Richard Ramirez and he got his name so remember that car which one (laughs) (laughs) the one that they never like did a swipe of Mm -hmm. the one that had the dentist card in it on the rear view mirror like to adjust it so you could see in it there was a partial fingerprint they since they had that partial mind you that was the only other thing besides that dentist car since they had that partial now they had his last name so they pulled up all the richard ramirez's in like la county there was eight of them and they identified them manually one by one and they had a match so once they had a match now here's where things get some some pretty f shit because like this is where uh if anyone has watched american horror story where richard ramirez is like part of this and like involved and this is basically it's revolving around the night stalker and, and such um it's pretty accurate like what happened to him is pretty accurate so um once they have you know confirmation they get a murder warrant on him right and the cops are going in between the cops and the detective they're going in between you know should we sit on it should we just like have that have it active right was that your stomach what was on my stomach i heard it no (laughs) that was sorry honestly it was probably in my throat i really need water but i'm sounding like a frog it's okay (laughs) meanwhile i have mochi looking at me from the skyline on top of this bunk bed she's like hey mom what are you doing down there (laughs) (laughs) mochi you can't cow up on that no oh she is okay um so they're debating on if they should sit on it or not you know um eventually then the news mind you i did leave out a whole part with what happened with the mayor you're gonna have to watch the documentary with that um basically the mayor was given information and i guess they didn't explicitly tell her not to leak it and they leaked everything oh my he regurgitated everything before they even got this warrant like including and i mean everything i mean like even the shoe like the information to the shoe like a size 11 and a half black avia you know oh my God, like my God, my God. she regurgitated it and it was <sighs> yeah so they had to have like a lot of media conferences just to get a hold of this guy like just to get back on this case with that that after it was blown out of proportion anyway so now they have the murder war you know they're debating they're sitting on it and whatnot and uh, they end up they're like, okay, well, if we sit on it, you know, and the media finds out we're sitting on a murder warrant, they're going to they're gonna kill us. They're going to roast us with all that we have. 
Sorry, Mochi is trying to eat stuff in the corner of the room. Mochi, stop eating stuff you're not supposed to. Well, you have stomach problems. <laughs> this is why you're always sick, God. Um, and the other one was like, well, we want an actual shot at this guy. You know, like we want to be able to sit on it because if we release it to the media and he hears about it, he's going to know. You know what I mean? So they wanted an actual shot of like trying to get at him before the media is ever aware of it. So that's why they were going back and forth. They're like, we're not going to get chewed out by the media. And they're like, well, we actually want to catch this guy. You know what I mean? Well, everything aligns in this one grand old moment. And this is the scene that plays an American horror story. Right. So he's, whenever this launches on the air, they decide not to sit on it. You know, they're launching it on the media. And they're setting a report. They're like, we have his name. You know, this is what he looks like. This is his description. This is his picture. Right? They have his picture now from his delinquent uh, times of, like, Grand Theft Auto and everything of the sort. They had every form of news media there during this announcement. And when this news finally aired, they were expecting him to, you know, hightail himself out through the Greyhound bus, you know, and they were expecting him to be leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Turns out he was already in Arizona. He was visiting family. He was not even in the state of California. Willis, like this news is being aired, right? So they planted police officers uh, outside of the Greyhound bus. Mind you, that happens quite often. Um, they have them planted looking like homeless people, but you can identify them as not because, you know, their teeth are clean, their hair is fixed, like that kind of thing. Um, and he said that as soon as he got off the Greyhound bus back into California, he immediately sees these cops and he doesn't think anything of it because he's like, that's not necessarily for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you think you're guilty, you're probably guilty. You know what I mean? So that's how he initially acted. So he walks past that and he goes into a liquor store. And this liquor store has newspapers. He ends up picking up the newspaper and he sees his face on it. Uh-oh. And the uh, clerk or like the business owner of the liquor store, he's on, he's being interviewed by the news. He says, yeah, he came in, he saw his face and you just see the blood drain from his face. He panics and he left. So, and in American Horror Story, this is how it happens, exactly to the T. He walks into a liquor store, he sees his face, he panics, he runs. Now, also what happens is that now he's getting on a bus, he's catching the bus. And he's just like, all I have to do is make it the eight miles to Western or Southwestern uh, LA, and I'll be home free. I have a brother that lives there, right? The person he's sitting next to is reading the paper. Person he's sitting next to reads the paper and he's looking up and he makes eye contact with Richard Ramirez. Mm. The person immediately shoves the 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 newspaper right back in front of his face and starts dialing. But what he doesn't know is that the person, the clerk, you know, who had recognized him and everything of the sort, saw that he got on the bus and immediately uh, flagged down a truck and says, "Look, he's on the bus." follow that bus and so that's initially when the chase started right and so uh mind you because everyone has this newspaper now everyone's reading this newspaper Mm so as soon as you know richard sees this he forces the bus to stop he stops the bus he starts 
hightailing it on foot. He makes two attempts on uh, Grand Theft Auto. One of them being a female, the last one. The second one was a female. And I guess it was the wrong female to be choosing because this female, like, she starts screaming and a guy comes out of nowhere. He has a metal pole and he starts hitting Richard with it. He hits him twice. And, you know, like, he's trying to, like, say, like, get out the car and everything. So he hits him twice. Richard starts running. Mind you, he's, like, hightailing it. He's hightailing it for a while. Okay. He starts running. And as he's running, you know, they're spreading the fact, like, hey, this is, like, the guy that tried to do this. But also, he's the guy. He's the killer. He's, he's the guy who kills, as they said in their language, you know. And once that got word, you have the entire neighborhood chasing this guy down. Which also happens in American Horror Story. <laughs> so you just see, like, and I, I mean this entire neighborhood. Like, I don't mean, like, a small little group on the block. No, I mean, you have dozens upon hundreds of people chasing this man. And he, quote-unquote, says, let's see, hold on. He said, uh, he ends up seeing, like, a car, right? A patrol car. And at the end of this road that, mind you, he's being chased on the other end is this patrol car. He walks right up to this patrol car and basically like, like, if you don't take me, they're going to kill me kind of thing. So this guy, he, he stands up for him. He lets them handcuff him and everything of the sort. And his quote after sitting in the cop car says, I was so pissed at how things turned out. Uh, I was under arrest now. I turned around and I spat at the crowd. I stuck my tongue in and out like a serpent. If I had had my pistol, they'd all scatter. They wouldn't be as brave as I thought they were. Quote, unquote, like that kind of thing. And you see his his head like he's wrapped up because they had beat him pretty, pretty intensely. They were they were going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he was in the cop car, you know, he knew that he was safe. But even the cops were like, they're still going to try to kill him. Like, we got to tame this some, some sort of way. The entire LAPD, like, office was surrounded by these people. Like, thoroughly surrounded. Because, like, he's the person who keeps killing the people that they know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, grandfathers, grandparents, uh, young children, you know, friends, family, like, those kinds of things. So, they get him into, you know, into questioning, you know, and Frank and Gil's sitting right there. And Frank is the one that immediately starts, like, speaking to him. He says, "Uh, I'm Frank Serrano, and this is Gil. And he stops him. He says, I know exactly who you are. And apparently this, like, took Frank back for a second because he's like, I've never had someone during an interview, like, immediately admit to, you know, like, on an interview of murder, immediately admit to them knowing me. Because Frank had worked and closed the uh, Hillside Valley Strangler case. Mind mm. you, that, that, was, that was his idol. And Frank was the one that put him behind bars. And so he's like, I know exactly who you are. Like, he said it in such a distasteful way. Like, I spit on the ground you walk on, basically. Yeah. And apparently, he didn't want to, he didn't want to, like, 
talk or anything. And so Gil, his background, mind you, he went into the army, as I said earlier, at age 17 because a cop showed up and told his parents, look, look, you need a sign here to get him off the streets and keep him alive. Because uh, just prior to that, he was actually um, basically in a gang. He was basically in a gang. He was from the streets. And that was his background, you know? So so was Richard's background. They had the same background, okay? So Gil's approach was they start, he starts speaking um, the slang of the streets. Uh, apparently, like, you know, and apparently he, like, warmed up to him, like, approached him that way. He says, because no one, no one over here speaks like that unless you're from the streets and you're Hispanic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they ended up getting, you know, that out of them and everything of the sort. They confirmed he was it. And, you know, even in the cop car, um, the police are trying to ask him, like, who are you? You know, just to get a verbal confirmation. He says, dude, it's me. It's me. I'm the killer. Like, that's I'm I'm Richard Ramirez. Like, that kind of thing. Now, as soon as this, they now have to transport him again. And they have so many cop cars. Um, they have uh, Frank on one side, a Gills into the passenger. They have motorcyclists, like, on either side of them. They have a car in the front, a car in the back. They have a helicopter. Like, it's pretty thorough, right? Now they're going down the street, and they're passing all these neighborhoods. And this is the part that you said that you didn't like, where they had females that were standing up on the trucks, and they open up their blouse and start shaking themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and Gil says, hey, look. Uh, Rich, you know, like Rick, like th- they're doing it for you because they're not doing it for me, kind of thing. It's so, it, it just it goes farther than just groupies, though. Oh no, I'm wait, I okay, hold on, you're gonna have to tell me about that in like a quick second. So, oh my god, they're trying to get under the covers. Y'all look weird, y'all look like some weird little lumps moving under the covers. Okay, anyway. So they're driving down everything of the sort, and eventually they get to, you know, the trials and everything of the sort. And this is where the little girl comes in, and they have them in a lineup. She picks them out from the lineup immediately. And, you know, there was so much relief when they saw him in the pa- his face in the paper, but there was also so much, like, static. Because one of the, one of the ladies was a grandmother, and apparently, get this, get this. Uh, She had a son, right? And the son calls her, or, yeah, calls him saying that, I feel like I said that so wrong, but it's okay. She had a son, and the son recalls her saying that she's going to end up being a rape victim. Like, she was pretty headset, like, I, this is what's going to end up happening. Prior, like, you know, these murders ever even taking place. Like, that, that was her fixation in her head. So whenever he Richard Ramirez was actually going to rape her, she fought. Like you could see her body, her knuckles were bruised and her her nails that she had gotten done were broken. Like she fought him. And apparently because uh he was so frustrated with you know her not letting him pursue himself, he ended up killing her and stomping her face in, leaving a shoe print of the Avia shoe. But that same night, 
because he couldn't satiate himself, he went to another house and raped the victim. Kept her alive, kept her handcuffed to a bed, but essentially that was the scenario, right? And that struck, like, the victims that were in the house. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mochi hid under the covers and she didn't know what to do with herself. So I had to uncover her. But, so now they're on court, now they're on trial. And the video clippings of this man walking into the courtroom with shackles on his on his ankles is like probably the most disturbing thing because of the way he walks into the room. He walks into it with such like ego and confidence. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, they 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 described it as like uh the bad boy um I guess vibration, the bad boy energy that was drawing all these females. And he was caught even like turning around to the females that were there for him and like doing that weird little finger wave. Gross. Like little... Yeah, exactly. So, um, but he was eventually deemed guilty um, mm-hmm. and guilty on all accounts 43 cases, 13 murders. Now, the part that I'm upset about. Is, you know all those kitty cases? Mm-hmm. They dismissed the kitty cases. They didn't charge me for it. Fucking disgusting. You know why? Because the girl who Miss uh, Anastasia, six years old, uh, pointed to Gil and says, uh, no, told her mother, and her mother translated to Gil. Says, she says she remembers you the most because you remind her of a teddy bear. And she said verbally, like the little girl said, I'll go ahead and I'll testify. That means no one, he won't hurt any other little girls like the way he hurt me. And apparently that's all it took for Gil because he had to leave the room and start crying. Oh. Uh, he says 30 seconds later, Frank came in and then his other partner about a, lasted maybe a minute came back in and then said, all right, boys, so what are we going to do? Uh, and so... They had dismissed the kitty cases because they didn't want to put the children all through the testifying. And they only did that because he had 13 accounts of murder under his belt. Yeah. You know, so they knew that he was going to get it for life. So that's why they did that. Part of me is like, okay, I get it. But at the same time, like, okay, but I want him to suffer. You know what I mean? Like, well, it doesn't matter because in the end. Yeah. So in the end. Uh, he was put on the death penalty. He was put on death row. But listen um, to this shit, y'all. Listen to this fucking bullshit. <laughs> do you want to say it? I feel like you're hyped for it. Do you want to say it? So, first of all, let's go back to the groupie situation before we end it. So, it wasn't just groupies. It was a fucking cult that they made in his honor. Yummy. Yeah, I love it. Go on. Keep and going. he ended up marrying one of the cult members. Are you joking? Not even a little bit. Wait, okay, hold on. Was this cult member, like, blonde? Was she a blonde hair? I don't know. I didn't. I was so pissed off. I was like, I'm not even going to look into it anymore because it's fucking disgusting. Well. But he literally, he, so he died at 53, okay? And he married someone who was, like, I think in her early 20s. And um, she was, like, a member of this cult dedicated to him. Well, so listen to this. In American Horror Story... Richard Ramirez was 
dating this blonde female, right? And she kind of had, like, a kink for the fact that he'd kill people for her kind of thing. And before he ever became the Night Stalker, he was with her and everything of the sort. And something happened and they separated. Don't know how, like, legit, like, separated they separated because, you know, he was a little insane. But they ended up separating and then he became the Night Stalker. And she felt like it was her doing because she encouraged it. And he morphed after their separation. So that's why I was asking, like, was it, was she blonde haired? Because American Horror Story was pretty accurate. Like, they hit the nail on the head on that one. I don't right. know. I, I didn't look into it. I just, after I saw that he, that someone actually married him while he was in jail, I was like, what the fuck? Well, what the fuck? And so, American, go on. Well, in American Horror Story, he was jailed. He was put on death row. Uh, he ended up dying, though. He ended up. Okay, but here's uh, the wait, thing. Hold on. So they, he he was gonna be sentenced to the death penalty to a gas chamber. Wait, no. Okay, so before that, an American Horror Story, uh, while he was like hunting these people, he ended up dying, and Satan resurrected this man. So that's how they interpreted like all the pentagrams and him saying "Hail Satan," because that was his last words. He said, uh, "You won't understand me." You know, you don't get me. Uh, I am more than good and evil. I am more than anything you'll be able to comprehend. That kind of thing. And he says, hail Satan. And then he goes off. Do you want to say their pen- penalty? So he was sentenced to death. He was, he was put on death row and, he was, and his death sentence was going to be death by gas chamber. And um, they found out not too long, I think, before he died that he had leukemia he had cancer they were rushing him to the hospital when he died of cancer do you know how long he was on death row for too long two decades yeah they should have killed him as soon as they put him in jail he was exactly exactly okay (laughs) exactly but no they had him just chilling in a box for two decades let the man get fucking married Exactly, like, essentially, he lived a fulfillable life, okay? He got yeah. to murder everyone he wanted to in the names of, like, Manson and everything else. And he, he got on married. his own fucking terms. Exactly! What, are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, my question Honestly, is... Honestly, you know it... what? You know what I believe? Honestly, if it weren't for the fact that he died of cancer, if he were still alive and he lived out the rest of his sentence, they probably would have left him, let him out on good behavior. I honest Honestly, to God believe that. My question is like now now that you think about like he wasn't actually um tried for the kitty cases, now are the kitty cases actually properly like, you know, put to justice? They didn't actually like he got he didn't get tried for it and he didn't die for it. He didn't die for any of the murders. No, he died of natural causes. Which is such bullshit. Infuriates me. Oh my god. <laughs> The, and you know what? I'm thinking about it now, and I'm and there's no way that none of that the prison inmates didn't know about what was going on. Cause like, no. there's no way they didn't know. And if you if you read anything about prison, they cannot stand a pedo. They will kill pedophiles. So you know that motherfucker had to be in um exclusive cell. Yeah, yeah, he had to be in isolation. Otherwise, he was gonna get murdered in prison. And I'm like, if y'all fuckers don't let him. Fin for him fucking self. I, 
if you don't let the dogs descend, I swear to God, <laughs> they should have beat him black and blue. I want his entrails stapled to the ceiling. So with that being said, how do you feel about this case? Do you do you hear me right now? <laughs> I feel like I think I'm just looking for a skill on one to ten. <laughs> God, I it's so aggravating. Cause like, yeah, he died, but like I wish he would have lived so he could have died in the way that I wanted it to die. <laughs> I didn't want him to die naturally, okay? I didn't, I didn't want, want him, him to have to a choice. I didn't want him to die on, on the way to him being rescued. Literally, they were rushing that man to the hospital. Oh, why? Because he had fucking cancer. Bullshit. Oh, why? They were rushing that man to the fucking hospital. Like, on the way to the hospital because he had fucking leukemia. Can't fucked. Let that man suffer. If you don't, if you don't <laughs> put an air bubble in his blood vein, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. That would have been, you know what? Now that I, now that you think about it, I wish he would have been rushed to the hospital. I would have been the nurse. Oops, sorry, I accidentally Oops. shoved a fucking air bubble in your blood vessel, and now you have an aneurysm. My bad. <laughs> sorry, my hand slipped. God. <laughs> would I have gone to jail? Yes, but I also would have been fucking treated like a hero. Oh my gosh. This like the whole case is just infuriating. Like I had to watch it twice because the first time I watched it to watch it to see what's going on. Uh and then the second time I watched it to take notes. And then I while I was taking notes, I caught a hold of things that I didn't catch initially. And I was like, Are you joking? It's so infuriating because it's like, how stupid can you be? It's right there. A five-year-old can see that shit. Not specifically a six-year-old but not only that like i watching it a second time that was also why i had to like stop taking notes and that's why my notes are so frazzled is because like you you get and you watch it a second time you see all the details and you're just like man y'all are stupid like y'all are big dumb it's like (laughs) y'all are supposed to be trained professionals and you're missing literally what's two feet in front of you no like you're playing petty territorial games are you joking like I mean, there's a serial killer at large, and y'all are just like, okay, well, it's my area. This is my square. The way they treated that that shit, the way they treated that shit, it's like the evidence was circled in a big neon red sign, and y'all were looking in the other direction saying, y'all see something? (laughs) We're looking for a square. No, like not only that, but you, the the play that the media had in this that uh, Laurel Laurel Erickson lady, are you joking? The fact that she didn't get arrested for blackmail, ooh, like no, the fact that that's the normal dynamic. It's because, like, because freedom even, of press is a thing, and it's mm, <laughs> not <laughs> even that. It's just like that's the normal dynamic between cops and media and they just they stated that in the documentary and they're just like yeah we we're like cats and dogs we go back and forth like we're trying to like you know i don't know catch a murder and they're just trying to make a story and i was just like bro why does this why is this a thing why is it happening i was so mad i was so mad journalists get paid a lot of money if they get a good fucking story. You know what's funny too? So she said, mind you, this was supposed to be her story. So she says, she's like, I remember the day that they caught him, that they brought him in. She says, I'll never forget it because I was in the salon getting my hair done and I was not there to report it. That's called karma. 
Good. I hope somebody else. I I hope her worst enemy got it. I hope her worst enemy reported on that shit and made a shit ton of money, and now she's poor. That's what I hope. I don't know, but they they describe the females as basically being this clown car of females because they they were surrounding him. So oh, so before we leave, since we're talking about females and his supporters and everything like that, it wasn't just female supporters. So um, they were describing. Hang on. So the lady who had their grandmother killed, not who had their grandmother, who whose grandmother got killed, basically. Um, she, the one who fought, you know, the one Mm -hmm. whose grandmother fought, she was in the courtroom, you know, mind you, that was not entirely of a big courtroom, but there was also a lot of people. There wasn't a lot of space. Okay. And so she was able to get a seat, you know, in the courtroom. And she says, you can only be around the man for so long until like the evil starts oppressing you and you have to like leave. And she's not the only person who said it. He, He was known to have eyes. That were so dark, they were like an animal about to attack you, kind of a thing. Um, which is interesting because if you play a part into what people say is like, you know, um, it's the ultimate crime to take the life of another and it, it dims your own light. So the light in people's eyes like dim. It's crazy concept. Anyway, she was in the courtroom, so she had to leave. And she, there was, she said there was a bench outside uh, of this courtroom. And she took a seat, and the person next to her was not much older than her at the time. She says she was maybe around 17. He was about, like, 19 or so. And she was wondering, she's like, I wonder why he's here. You know, I wonder, you know, who in his family might have been hurt, who is, who of his loved ones. And she says she just remembers him pulling up his sleeve um, to, like, one of his jacket sleeves. And there was a pentagram on his, on his wrist. she's like i'm literally sitting next to the person who idolizes the person that killed my grandmother so think about that think about like leaving a courtroom because you couldn't stand to be around the your grandmother's killer trying to get some fresh air only to be by the people who idolize him for like for all the murders and killings that he has done i bet it was the wrong pentagram (laughs) it probably was let's be straight it probably was I mean, like, it's it's a really, really, like, depressing case. It's really upsetting, especially how things ended, because it's like, yeah, he he got his what for from the universe, but, you know, he didn't get his what for from the people, and that's what pisses me off. But Wait. it makes me giggle to think, like, oh, he's, like, super into, like, Satanism and all this kind of shit, but the pentagram he was painting on everything and had tattooed on his body and everyone else was getting tattooed was the one for protection and light. <laughs> it was, the, like, literally, I kid you not, mind you, okay, so I have my makeshift wreath right in front of me, right? The one that I made by hand with the willow branches, like the curly willow branches, and we got a nice little, you know, yule wreath up, okay? Right above it, it's my TV, okay? I saw this pentagram on the wall that was in blood, and I paused it, and I looked at the one on my fireplace and I looked back at the one on the wall and like bro it's the same fucking pentagram <laughs> I was so upset I it like, takes five seconds of research I, literally google images is free 
I literally <laughs> almost was like, I I should stop this, right? I should just stop. This isn't even worth doing it. I literally had taken like maybe four pages of notes in the first time. And I looked at this and I was like, you know what? We should just scrap it. We should just do a different one. <laughs> we should just do a different one because this sucks. Like who, who, who? I'm going to sound like an owl. Who? <laughs> but like, that's the only thing that like, it genuinely makes me giggle because they probably are like diehard supporters of this man, and they're like, "Oh, we're do- it's Satanism, yeah!" And it's like the it's the fucking pagan symbol for protection and light. Now I will say, I will say. So the way, he, so his last statement by you saying like, you know, you you don't understand me. I'm more than good and evil. I'm more than he was speaking in the same manner so mind you i read i read the satanic bible i did okay because like i used to study demonology i used to study like i i'm aware of it i actually did the satanic bible on a paper that i did in college so i know about it right there's several rewrite introductions in the very beginning of the satanic bible okay and ad anton levey almost called him adam Anton LaVey, the founder of the Satanic Church, describes Satan as not being a person, but basically being a force of nature that, you know, science can't explain and religion has no part in kind of thing. Right. And the way he was describing, you know, him and being Satan and everything of the sort, he was describing not a person. He was describing that force. So, like, he has some sense of understanding, but the fact of the matter is that he... How did you fuck up so bad that you can't even, you can't even get the right pentagram? Exactly. Like, you had the concept. You understood, but you didn't understand. Like, are you joking? Are you joking? Are you joking? You know what I mean? You're joking. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry, that was, that was me because I was literally listening to his words. I'm like, okay, it sounds like he understands. But visually, his actions, they don't, Which, it doesn't make sense. But I mean, like, that that also, like, brings me back to, the, like, I genuinely think it was just for the aesthetic and for the attention because of how he let that that detail slip. And that's not a minor detail. That's, like, a huge detail. Well, the thing is, is that on some occasions, it was the correct one. Like, the one on his hand, it was the correct one. On other circumstances, I don't know if he just did it because it was quick or what, and that it doesn't take as much thought to do the one that's not inverted to draw it because for me if i was to do an inverted pentagram just trying to draw it simplistically i i have some thought i would literally draw it normal and then flip my paper upside down call it a day like i I don't know how to do it yeah but no because it doesn't take me that long at all well teach their own i can't but either way i it's really it's the mixed signals um it's like what are you trying to portray here sir (laughs) what are you doing over there it's so it makes me think like the whole like satanic bullshit it was just it was for the attention and for the flair well yeah because apparently all the females did it because now this man had such high sex appeal despite the fact that he had such shabby hygiene and he looked like a gremlin he legit looked like a dehydrated gremlin You know, if we ever have, like, a potential, I don't know, wannabe serial killer up here and they're listening to this podcast because it's titled The Night Stalker, don't come for us, okay? Just look at this man's, like, pictures. You gonna clown the fuck out of you, boy? Stop. (laughs) Don't come for me. (laughs) I'm just gonna sit here and call you a dehydrated gremlin. The Crypt Keeper's wife. (laughs) 
I don't know why, but you made me think of that reference of Crotch Goblin again. <laughs> if y'all don't know what we're talking about by Crotch Goblin, apparently, like, there's this individual who made a TikTok, and it was about a Crotch Goblin, which is basically, like, the offspring of someone who... He was, yes, he was but... like, he was trolling somebody who said that, um... It was somebody who we call a Pinterest witch. They're like love and light and threefold law and all that kind of shit. And she was saying how um, hexes always come back to bite you in the ass, which is not true. And, and, that, it's, and, and that it's bad to like hex, hex babies, hex babies and pregnant ladies. And he was like, "Bitch, these hexes are rated E for everyone." It's one of the things that you shouldn't laugh at, but it's hilarious because it's also, like, kind of accurate. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He was like, you're pregnant mom, you're pregnant stepmom, your sister-in-law, I don't give a fuck. Eat for everyone, bitch. And that crotch goblin. If you deserve it, you deserve it. <laughs> uh, Any final words on this crotch goblin of a story? Oh God. If you are a fangirl of Richard Ramirez... I hope you wake up to your uterus on the outside of your body. Okay, 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 okay. So, on that note, I will say something. And you're going to hate me for this because I'm pretty sure you remember me doing this back in high school. I'm that female. (laughs) So, like, not... So, whenever... Okay, so, mind you, I didn't really know much about the Night Stalker or what he truly looked like. Or any of that nature. Were you a, I was were you a HAS uh fangirl? American Horror Story fangirl of Richard Mar- Yes. Okay. That's Yes, different. I was. That's different. I was about that. But then like this is a little different, okay? But the one in American Horror Story, like, yeah, okay, I'll vibe. <laughs> it's fine. Let me let me rephrase. If you're a fangirl of the real Richard Ramirez and um, who is an actual pedophile, rapist, and murderer, um, I hope you wake up in the middle of the night to a demon ripping out your uterus and you feel it. Yeah, I, I vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I vibe. Okay, Specifically, well... <laughs> you know, the horn demon king who's been following me around lately. But that's, that's a topic for another witch's brew. Y'all aren't ready. Yo, literally, we just got a, a, off of a three-hour one and... I'm thinking about just like taking half of it away, but I can't because like mind you, I'm thinking about taking half of it away just for the fact that we sound absolutely insane for who anyone who's not in the practice. And if y'all think that one is bad, our next one's gonna be horrible. Cause some shit has gone down and it hasn't even been that long since we uploaded. Not only that, but there's stuff that's been happening that I didn't even tell Lolo about yet. <laughs> I haven't even told you about it. Like there's developments and i'm essentially not allowed to speak about it so i'm gonna leave it at that (laughs) i'm gonna say you guys to stay tuned any further notes see you bitches later Bye. bye